Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts Jeremy Taig, Paul Schaeflein, and Aichabash. Each week you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hi Aicha, how are you doing? Hi Jeremy, I'm good. How about you? Pretty good. Another week. We're actually on FHL week this week, so we're fix hack learning. And um, I'm building solo a power app actually to try and help with this ride along process we have internally within Yina's organization. So if any of my team or the, the go to market team meet with a customer, PMs can volunteer to ride along with the meeting with us. And it's been a manual process for the last 18 months. And so I'm trying to build a power app that uses the graph to suck down my calendar, allow me to tick which meetings I want to have ride alongs on and then someone else goes into the power app and can volunteer and the whole approval process. But I used InfoPath 15 years ago and Power Apps is meant to be super straightforward. And I've been in Google and Bing.new for the last day and a half trying to work out how to bind the calendar control to data from the graph and things like that. So it's been interesting. It's been good to play with tech a bit. Wow, that's pretty cool. All I do this week is prepping everything for Hack Together, you know, coming in March 1st. So we're super hyped and excited about it, but no time for uh, FHL for us in advocacy. <laughs> Keeping you busy. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm hoping that video snippet that I sent you, the script that you sent, I think I like I did five times and was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to do it in individual sentences and you can pick which video snippet you want. <laughs> No, yeah, it, it's going to be fun. You will probably see in upcoming weeks. Yeah, keep yeah. Well, keep the eye on your Twitters and different things to work out where hack, to, hack together is going. We have Guillaume, Guillaume with us today from Enbold, um, who's the founder and CTO. So thank you for joining us today. I'm I'm really excited to hear your journey because we've met a few times when you've come up to campus before the pandemic, but I haven't seen you in person for a while, so I really don't know how how you've been going down there. But uh, thank you for joining the show this morning. Well, thank you. Glad to be there. And uh, uh, good to see you again. I hope we're going to see each other for real. Um, COVID was quite a hard time for everybody. Um, so I think we're going to have the MVP Summit in person this year in April. So maybe we're going to have the opportunity to see each other. Yeah, that's it's right on my birthday too. So there'll be probably a few different celebrations going on that week. So where, where are you based now? Because your accent is not from the States. Yeah, correct. So I'm from Paris, and um, I'm actually living between Paris and Los Angeles. Oh, you do do both still? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm still doing a lot of back and forth, and um, but I'm going to be really established in the US um, by June, something like that. So yeah, quite an exciting journey for me. Yeah, that's right. I I was very I gave myself a pat on the back. I had a friend that went recently, and they asked for some Paris tips, and I like give them like five things, must do's. And they sent me all these photos going, wow, that was such, you know, all those things were so good. And I was like, ah, there we go. Well, if you don't, if you need any tip, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd forgotten about you too, but yeah, like the Mamart and Moulin Rouge. and Absolutely. Right, yeah. The things people tend to forget. Well, um, look, we wanted to talk to you today about Embold and the journey you've been on building on top of Microsoft 365. And um, I, I think the easiest way to start these off is specifically talking about describing your product, um, but how it benefits the Microsoft 365 users. Like what is the end impact to the users of M365? 
first of all, I work in the Microsoft ecosystem for something like 20 years now. Uh, Microsoft MVP for 10 years in a row. Hope I'm going to be renewed in June. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so I was always involved in these kind of topics around collaboration based on Microsoft platforms. So I basically started on, on SharePoint, especially since 2001. So I'm, I'm quite an old guy now. And uh, four years ago, um, I created uh, Involves. I'm the CTO of this company. So I'm in charge of everything related to the product and everything technical. And Baldi is actually um, a Microsoft Teams application that automates the governance and the compliance of the Microsoft Teams ecosystem for their customers. At least that's how we started. And basically at the beginning, we created this application that brings compliance workflow and security workflows for IT pros. That was our main focus. And so the platform brings, you know, um, approval workflow for Teams creation, for instance, naming conventions, lifecycle policies when Teams are expired, uh, applying sensitivity labels automatically, th this kind of governance-oriented features. I will also mention that we're dealing with mid-sized to large companies, and the automation is actually something really important for us. So all these features are accessible through our API because we have a lot of customers doing this kind of governance automation, but you know, based on their custom specific rules. So having this API is important. And they're also all of them are also available through Power Platform. So they can use Power Automate to bring specific workflows, specific automation regarding Teams archiving, um, lifecycle policies, naming conventions, and so on. So at least that's how we started. And uh, the immediate benefit, of course, was uh, to automate all these tedious tasks, such as identify all the teams that don't have any owner anymore and apply some specific action. Or I have something like 100,000 teams. Most of them are not used anymore. How can I easily identify them, archive them? manage this workflow, um, you know, all these tedious operations are automated from one central location. So we were really helping IT pros to basically save time <laughs> and, and, and make sure that they stay compliant, even in large-scale organizations. Uh, but as we were starting to work with customers and implement the, this kind of collaboration process, we discovered that the real value was actually for business users. And we started to create automations for specific departments in companies, uh, mostly based on integrations between uh, system of records, CRMs, ERPs, external collaboration platform, and integrate all of this with Microsoft Teams. Let me give you one single example. Um, we have a specific solution for salespeople and Basically, we are integrating Salesforce and we're monitoring what's happening in Salesforce, such as a new opportunity has been created. And when a new opportunity has been created and reach a specific stage, we're going to automatically create the related team in Microsoft Teams using a specific template. So they basically automatically have a, a, a deal room ready to use for bid management, opportunity management, key account management, depending on how they want to work. And as we started to work on this Salesforce integration, we realized that we're going to need to integrate more, not just Salesforce, not just CRMs. 
So now we have this kind of automated corroboration process connected to Salesforce, HubSpot, Dynamics, but also Trello, SAP, um, and all the ecosystem is actually integrated into Microsoft Teams, thanks to Envolve. So that's, I think, where the real value is for customers. Because when we did the first audits, we realized um, that probably 80% of the teams created were actually related to something in an external system. Mostly the CRM, but not only. It could be your HR system, could be uh, project management, could be a custom application, could be power apps, could be whatever you want. But actually, your teams are related to something outside of Microsoft Teams. And that's what, we, that's what we're automating, basically. Also, another value is, I would say, cost killing. So, because we realize that many of these CRMs, for instance, our customers are paying licenses for users that just don't read information. So, what we're doing is, as soon as you integrate Salesforce or HubSpot or Dynamics through and bold into Microsoft Teams, we are bringing this data automatically inside Teams. And it means that these users don't need really to access the CRM anymore directly. So they don't need necessarily a license. So that's another approach that we have mostly for CFOs <laughs> because it's really about the um, savings that you can do. So there's the saving side and really process optimization. Interesting. And um, how long has uh, been available for customers to use? So we made this shift to integration with mostly CRMs uh, since something like six months. Um, as I mentioned, we're mostly dealing with mid-sized to large enterprise companies. Even if the company is based in France, by the way, we're doing 90% of our business in the US and something like 5% in other English-speaking countries. And I think... Uh, reducing context, which is a really big thing these days, especially bringing everything into one place and uh, being able to uh, work with all of the toolings from one single place like Teams is a definitely big offer. Um, I think it is the game changer for a lot of your customers, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also the game changer is to not have to design this kind of integrations. Because even if you can try to build something using Power Automate, for instance, having this kind of detailed and off-the-shelf integration that combines Salesforce, Trello, whatever tool you're using into in just one click, because really that's how it works. You go to Enbold, you click Deal Room, there's a specific Deal Room offer, you click on it, you install, and you're connected to both Salesforce and Trello and, and whatever you want. So it's really off the shelf. And uh, that's also a concern for my customers when they're trying to do it by themselves using Power Automate. It's not to actually build the V1, but how do you maintain this? How do you make sure that it, it's going to align with how your process are going to evolve in time? Because the sales process change, as, as you know, probably just like Microsoft, you have um, your process are evolving every quarter. So if you have to maintain all these process automations, it's kind of a nightmare. So that's why we're packaging things based on industry standards, such as what is the key best practice for B2B deal rooms for salespeople. Everything comes through this. So both the integration, 
and the content because uh, our customers can design the content that's going to be pushed to Microsoft Teams. And it can include planner templates, for instance, or templated documents that are specific for this sales process. And they can, yeah. So it has been a long journey. Uh, maybe uh, it sounds easy, but it, it, it's quite a long journey uh, on a technical standpoint to create this level of abstraction and make sure that everything can be up and running in, let's say, 15 minutes. Yes, that, that's quite a thing. You mentioned you've been in SharePoint for such a long, you know, back in the days, right? 2001s and 2003s. I think there's a lot of technology learning you can do there. I'm assuming you're using a graph APIs a fair bit, but I'm actually more interested in the Teams side of this because of the fact that you're using it as the main kind of user experience for the product and bringing in all those different SaaS content from other places. What are some of the Teams technologies you're using to, to build your product there? The application is obviously available from the store and we have some different packages that can be used. So we have the main one, but our customers can also create their own package to tailor the application inside Teams for specific audiences, for instance. So they can create a package specifically for sales or whatever. At the end, it's the same application, but we're using this packaging strategies quite a lot. Inside Teams, we're always running after the beta endpoints of the Microsoft Graph. Uh, because um, as I mentioned, we started this journey four years ago. And I started to work on Microsoft Teams APIs probably before it was called Teams. It already had another code name, TeamSpace, if I remember correctly. So uh, we the, the application evolved with the capabilities of Microsoft Teams. So Things that are really, I would say, specific to Microsoft Teams in terms of integration, we're using, of course, many deep linking. Uh, the application uh, uses different tabs, so we're using this navigation from the client side SDK. We're using a lot of adaptive cards too, uh, not only in the application itself, but because we're pushing notifications from the CRM as adaptive cards in channels, for instance. So we invested a lot on adaptive cards. We even built custom templating engine for adaptive cards because the standard one was not powerful enough because we had to be able to generate adaptive cards for any external system without knowing what the system is. So basically we have a generic adaptive card designer and generator that works at the same time for Salesforce, HubSpot, SAP, whatever. So that, that was also a big investment for us. And I would say that probably what the major investment was on the Microsoft Graph. We are using it really intensively, of course, for all these provisioning operations, creating teams, channels, private channels, search channels, provisioning content in SharePoint, such as templated documents, provisioning planner, uh, as, because we're bringing planner templates, list templates. So yes, we're using, was trying to establish and, and guess What's the percentage of graph endpoints that we're using compared to the whole? But but it could be it should be quite large actually. <laughs> You'll have to share your app IDs and we can have a look at the telemetry to see exactly yeah, what you're, how much you're calling across all your customers. <laughs> well, if you're interested in that, that's um, something we're working on. Um, probably in the future, we're going to release this component that we've built as an open source project 
And it's uh, something similar to what was released recently for the graph developer proxy. Uh, but it's actually a graph proxy for production. Oh, yeah. And what it does, it monitors all the Microsoft graph operation done from a specific application and generates some insights about what are the kind of endpoints that you're using, what are the main um, endpoints that you're using, such as Planner or OneNote or whatever, and also enforcing some compliance guidelines automatically from this proxy. We can talk about that maybe another day. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that'd be clever. I'm sure S- Seb Lover would love to yeah. hear about that after him and Waldeck building out the developer proxy. Absolutely. I think there are different areas of your product, m- multiple uh, solutions inside one product. Can you extend and tell us more about your architectures uh, of your product and how um, you work with Microsoft Graph behind the scenes? And can you tell us more uh, what are the other products at Microsoft or outside of Microsoft you use for building such strong solution? That's quite large. Uh, so, first of all, we are 100% hosted on Azure for mostly for compliance reasons. Also, because we have the app uh, that is uh, certified by Microsoft in terms of security hosting and so on. So that's obvi- that, that was the obvious choice. We are, I can mention also we are part of the Microsoft for Startups program. Uh, so it was definitely uh, super helpful for us uh, to bootstrap the solution and be able to, you know, test without thinking too much about the bills and everything because there's uh, uh, some funds from Microsoft. Uh, but aside from the Azure platform, so we try to use a lot of open source projects and open source solutions. So we're using, of course, Redis for caching. Postgre for database, I mean, the SQL database. We're using Cosmos DB for NoSQL. We're using uh, MailySearch as a search engine, um, which is kind of a really interesting alternative to Elasticsearch. We're using Metabase for analytics and reporting. We're using um, an open source solution called Jitsu for everything related to event processing, because we have uh, the entire platform is event driven. So we are sending messages um, through various containers and everything. The whole application is using containers. So we hosted on Azure App Service right now. We were thinking about Kubernetes or AKS more specifically, uh, but it's probably overkill for us right now um, because the scaling native auto-scaling capabilities of Azure App Service are quite enough for us. And from a language perspective. So we're using um, Node.js for the whole backend, the APIs, um, the web application, and uh, for the front end, we're using Next, Next.js. That's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. I was say, what was the eventing framework you were using? Yeah. The, so it's called Jitsu, J-I-T-S-U. Jitsu. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. It's kind of an alternative to Segment. I don't know if you know yeah. Segment. Okay. So it's kind of an alternative. Uh, that's really interesting because we're using it for both the eventing and, and routing events to different containers and different uh, queues. And they're also able binary compatible with Segment SDK. So basically, if we want to switch in the future from G2 to Segment, we can just replace the client-side SDK and, and, and it's going to work. 
So that was also an investment for the future. I don't know if we're going to move to segment for analytics and the end user events. That's a question. <laughs> I think you don't you don't miss a single data. No. Seems like you're leveraging all the data you get. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I was quite busy these days because we are releasing the advanced analytic feature, analytics features. So for, you know, bringing reports based on. Teams lifecycle, channels, unused, and so on. Um, but uh, we're also extending this, we will extend this analytics platform to the external systems too, because that's the key value of Enbold in many ways, is that as we're integrated with the CRM or with SAP or whatever, we have access to some of this data and we can cross this data with the team's analytics. Because you can have analytics for IT pros for Microsoft Teams, that's one thing. But if you're a sales director, what you want to see is maybe correlate your transformation rate from your CRM with the level of collaboration in Microsoft Teams and see if there's a correlation between the two. So definitely gathering and, and processing all this data, is, it's a major investment for us and we're going to leverage it to bring process level analytics. So Teams is not just one global collaboration platform and generic, but we're gonna have inside Teams um, analytics in KPI per process inside the company or per department, I would say. The, um, I mentioned at the big top of the hour about my journey through PowerApps for the first time in a while. And you were talking about kind of the customer being able to customize their flows. Are you building kind of like boilerplate connectors that customers can use in Power Automate to kind of drag and drop on to create their own workflow processes? Well, yes, no, we're not bringing pre-made Power Automate templates for a reason. Yeah. It's because what is pre-made is actually pre-made inside the product of the shelf. So when they say, I want to create an integration between Salesforce for my deal rooms, for instance, yeah, it's it's right in the product, and you don't have to deal with that. Okay, so you're not making the customer do that per se, or you're shrink wrapping that almost. No, we're using Power Automate. I mean, customers are using Power Automate mostly to extend or add specific features to a process. Oh, okay. Let's say you have an approval process as part of your deal um, room uh, for salespeople, and um, we are bringing some basic operations from that for that. But, you know, maybe they want to check in a specific system of record and to get who is going to be the approver, this kind of very specific rules. So what we're bringing is ready-made actions and triggers for Power Automate and very high level. Uh, for instance, we have triggers in Power Automate when a team creation uh, request has been made and needs an approval. So you have a ready-made uh, trigger for that in Power Automate. Or when a team life cycle, uh, when a team expires, the specific event in Power Automate that we're bringing to. That's really neat. And I think for those that are building products, like having those ability to like hook into existing processes to make it extendable. I mean, from my days of selling product, there was it's always a way of being able to go. Yeah. Yes, but 
you know, like, yes, but we have these hooks. And if you if the if products meet your requirements, then you've got these ability to do, do things via these additional extendability points. So I really like that, that architecture and taking it with Power Automate and having those actions is a, is a neat way to think about as a product. Well, we had to build actually quite a complex uh, webhook architecture because it means that we have a lot of events, uh, as I mentioned, right. an event-driven platform. Yeah. And basically, customers can hook into any of these events based on specific rules. And they can say, just notify me when a team expires or notify me when a team, when there's no more owners in a team, for instance. And they can just, from the API or Power Automate, just hook into this and do whatever they want. Stepping back a bit, the other question we always ask is, from a perspective of how customers try the product, what, what are some of the learnings you've had there? Like this is quite a complex scenario, but I'm guessing there is a way that you can, you know, make it very simple for a sales team to use to start with and then you kind of egg them along. What's your philosophy there and what does the experience look like for a customer when they, they use the app? You mentioned you're in the store, like what is that flow? The big issue, and it's still an issue uh, as of today, is the admin consent issue. Because uh, just to be able to create a team through the Microsoft Graph, you need a Microsoft 365 administrator to approve some permissions in your app. In many organizations, I mean, of course, if you're only dealing with companies with 50 people, it's gonna be okay. But when you're dealing with large, um, what I mean by large, it's really, many uh, dozens of thousands of users. Basically, if, if somebody discovers the app in the store, they, can, they, may be, they may be able to install the app. It's not sure, but sometimes they can. But they won't cross the barrier of the admin consent. And the admin consent is a big issue because most of the time, they don't even know who's the admin, right? It, it's quite complex to know who is supposed to um, approve some specific permissions. So we had to deal with that. And so far, there's no easy way to mitigate this issue. So what we're doing is, we're, and, and it's an ongoing process, by the way, we're working, still working on it. What we're doing is integrating videos right into the product so that, in, um, so that users can actually project themselves into the product and see what they can do. So we have a specific application called Intercom, which is really interesting that we're using both on the website and inside the application. And it means that when a user is landing on the application, he can contact us directly through chat right from the application. That's interesting. Uh, but uh, Intercom comes with onboarding capabilities. And we can push messages and contents to uh, these new users so that they can wait uh, until the moment where an administrator is going to approve the permission. But, but for us, that, that's a big, big, big issue. So for back to your question, for salespeople, they're doing a lot of demos. Uh, we have um, you know, te- uh, demo tenants that we can share with some customers if you, they want to play with it. Um, but still, that's, that's still a big issue because it's never the same as, okay, install the app, try it. It's just not possible as of today. Yeah, because you need to be able to do the provisioning aspect that requires those admin consent permission scopes. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is interesting with those because, you know, there are obviously solutions out there which 
can get away with things like just needing mail.read and mail.read write or can.read write. But when you're taking advantage of the platform that much, yeah, you're going to need a lot bigger scopes to be able to do those things. And so yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And um, there's also another issue really related to permissions, which is um, we have a mix of delegated permissions for end users and for an application permissions that can only be approved by administrators. Yeah, that's right. For your long-running jobs and back-end daemon service stuff, so such forth. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we of course investigated some um, progress that has been made on the Microsoft Drive platform and on Teams, especially with uh, team-specific permissions. But it doesn't solve our issue because to grant some permissions on a specific team, the team has to be there in the first place. <laughs> so we're chasing our tail. It, which also, it's, it's kind of interesting from, uh, I'm the client, if I look at Microsoft, and there's a lot of permissions that a user can approve by himself. For instance, in the Microsoft Graph, you can have the uh, mail send permission without any consent. I think it's a powerful permission, but but in a sense, a user that can send emails, well, he's granting an application to do the same. Makes sense. But for teams, creating a team, even if he can't create a team by himself, he can grant an application to create a team. So it, it, it's kind of, I understand the underlying issues because when you're creating a team under the hood, you're touching to Exchange APIs and SharePoint and a lot of, a lot of stuff. And in AD, of course, because there's this group, the underlying group. So I understand why there's this uh, admin concerns that is required. But from an end user perspective, that's sometimes hard to understand because user can create teams, but not from the API. It's interesting. We actually have a V team working on this. I think I've discussed this in another show around resource specific consent being not just for teams. And there are ways of doing it in exchange with app access policies. And we just announced our back policies for it. Um, and, and SharePoint has site selected, but there is um, a journey to unify that approach so that it can be done in one way and be done for a store deployment where it's easy for an admin to kind of grant those types of missions and users to. Um, and, but I think the biggest challenge you have is that your product could work in that way, creating the team and then your app having access because it created it. But you really want to back catalog all the existing team sites and manage those as well. And, and to do that, an admin would need to consent that. But at least you could get your product off to the races if it had the ability to go create Contoso's team based on the SAP record and provision it and then have at it within the scope of that resource, that team. Um, and so that's work we're trying to kind of move towards because the team sounds simple, but when you create a team, you get a document library, you get a, you get a plan, you get all sorts of groups. And, and so we need to make sure all those other what we call services under the covers and graph for the same RSC pattern, resource specific consent pattern. Well, we had to deal actually, uh, I'm really well aware of many details of the, the team creation process because when using the Microsoft Graph for this kind of provisioning, you have to deal with asynchronous, a lot of asynchronous operations. Because when you're creating a team, as you mentioned, it's actually creating a group, it's provisioning a mailbox, it's creating a lot of stuff, and it's installing apps too. And all these operations under the hood are asynchronous. 
So that's also something we had to deal with uh, when using the Maxograph operations related to creating teams and managing teams uh, uh, is to, okay, the API told me, okay, the job of creating the team is done. Oh, I should be good to install an app in it. But actually it's not because Maxograph says, okay, the team is created, but actually the app installation operation is not available yet. And there's a lot of things that we've learned with time uh, by, um, by learning from many edge cases like this, um, such as, yeah, create, installing apps dynamically in a team that is just created, for instance. It's kind of an interesting scenario. So as I mentioned, we're using it quite intensively. So aside from the typical issues such as throttling and, and everything, I think the asynchronous operations are the most complex that we had to deal with. Yeah, I was just going to ask, out of curiosity, with all these Microsoft Graph calls for your services, how do you prevent and handle throttling for your product? So I mentioned earlier that we've built a specific component. It's kind of a proxy that sits between the involved application and the Microsoft Graph. And it's taking care of a lot of stuff, uh, including throttling. So the first thing it does is trying to avoid throttling by um, sequencing and, and um, making sure that we're limiting the number of requests made automatically. So the application is just sending requests and a proxy is actually making sure that, for instance, we don't send two requests on the same endpoint. We don't send two requests on the same endpoint between 15 milliseconds, for instance. And um, so it's taking care of all this scheduling for requests. And we had to learn the throttling policies for each service because, as, as you know, there's a throttling policy when you, for creating teams, but there's another one for planner and there's another one for groups. And okay, so, so it's always different. So basically, inside our proxy, we define some policies to schedule the number of requests per service. So we, for instance, the most limiting one is planner, I think, and we are avoiding it just by scheduling the requests. Of course, the proxy, sometimes it's not enough and we, we are, we are throttled. So what we're doing is we have an automated retry mechanism that basically is enforcing the limitation and uh, it's restarting the operation later. And we can, that's how we're handling, handling this. It's, it's quite complex. I, I mentioned the event-driven architecture. That was one of the key driver. And to, to be able to manage these operations in a completely asynchronous way. And also there's sometimes, you know, we have to work on, and we're still working on it, uh, to make this process hyper-reliable and resilient. So sometimes the graph just crash happens on some basic operations. And even, even if it's, let's say, one request over a thousand, well, we have to deal with it. So we also have specific replay mechanisms. So if the Microsoft Graph is, is returning 500 error, we have retry mechanisms and, and, and everything goes on. So switching from tech and architecture uh, to what can Microsoft do? Uh, for you, what things would you like to see Microsoft doing for Microsoft 365 Dev Platform so it can be useful and more helpful for your customers' productivity? 
I think I already mentioned this permission question and issue. That, that's a big one. Not just the fact that it requires admin consent, uh, but the way also the, the level of granularity uh, is definitely not enough, I think. Um, for many permissions, such as if, if I want to do anything about groups, I can't grant a, a specific user the right to see all its teams related to its specific groups. It just group read write all. And that's the only way. Uh, and that's, of course, when you, um, you come with a big audit and accounting company uh, with a few hundred thousand users. No, group read write all, no, it's never going to work. And the only option we have in this context, to be honest, is on-premises option or hosting in their own Azure environment. By the way, um, that was something that we always considered. That's also why we have this architecture. And the entire platform can technically be self-hosted anywhere. We don't have any strong dependency to any external service, or they can be unplugged and plugged differently. Uh, but yes, mm -hmm. the, the only option for us in this kind of context is self-hosting. That's definitely been a pattern, I Jahar. I mean, everyone we've interviewed, people are taking that approach of either a SaaS or a self-hosted model to kind of get around some of these guardrails that customers have around permissions, right? Yeah. Yes, we, we heard about this before. I was going to say. Well, it's quite complex because we really started 100% SaaS. And actually, we did the journey uh, in, on the opposite <laughs> direction. And we're moving to on-premises for very specific use case. It's obviously not our, I would say, priority or first choice because we want to yeah. make sure that our customers are using Microsoft Teams. It's evolving every day. There's updates, upgrades, and the same applies for Microsoft Graph. So when they're using our SaaS platform, we're maintaining it. We're doing automated tests on the Microsoft Graph, actually. We're unit testing the Microsoft Graph as part of our quality process. No, I'm serious. We, we have specific integration tests and we're doing operations live on the Microsoft Graph to make sure that there's no discrepancy between the documentation, what we've implemented, and maybe an upgrade that we missed in the Microsoft Graph roadmap. So all these benefits that you have by using our SaaS application, of course, you're losing it if you're hosting the platform. Right. Because where you're relying on them to manage updates of your product and it gets harder, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting you're doing the Canary integration tests, like you're just checking to make sure everything's working as it should be. Well, to be honest, that's really based on experience, not necessarily the best experience of my life. Killing me. But I, I yeah. wanna, on an, another episode, I want to hear the uh, <laughs> when the Canary died in the coal mine. <laughs> well, let me just give you one example. At some point, there was a property on a specific object renamed from name to display name. Oh, I do remember that one. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a big one for us. And yeah. I had to spend really nights trying to figure out, okay, everything. And also, depending on where you were, you were not hitting the same endpoints probably on the graph. So it was working. Yeah, so it, it was patching uh, in one tenant and not in another. Exactly. In our defense, it's because you're using beta APIs which are not supported in production. Oh, no, no, it was on production. <laughs> I, I, it was a V1 oh, yes. endpoint? 
I was a V1, okay. absolutely. I know that was a few years ago, but I know it did cause a lot of problems. I don't say we're perfect. Maybe we yeah. missed things. You know, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, but no, that, that's also why we're making sure that we have this in integration test. Yeah. Well, look, I appreciate your transparency there on that. I want to pick up on two quick things. You mentioned that you're, you're in the Microsoft 365 app compliance program, so you're certified as a as an M365 application. Correct. How have you found that benefit? Like in terms of, you know, have there been customers where being certified that has helped you move the sales cycle faster or has met their requirements with their own compliance rules of what applications they allow into their environments? It, it was really a, a great help uh, in two different areas. First of all, it obviously shorten some conversations with customers. Of course, if you're, as I mentioned, if you're dealing with enterprise companies, you can have all the certification you want. Right. It's not gonna, <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna prevent them from sending you uh, a 400 line Excel with security requirements and so on. But mm -hmm. still, it, it, it's still an interesting base and, and, and it, it really helps the conversation. I would also say that we learned a lot by doing the certification. I mean, I mentioned we started just four years ago. We're not a 20 years company. And in terms of practice, information management, security, uh, compliance and everything, I think getting ready for the certification helped us really get more mature, uh, enforce some process that were not in place, uh, such as, especially on change management and, and requirement mm -hmm. management, uh, but also uh, we have this security review and pen tests every year with uh, an independent uh, security company. And of course, you learn a lot. I mean, you're building a product right. from scratch and we discovered a lot of interesting things. Um, yeah. Well, you give someone a red pen, they're going to definitely give you a nice report with a bunch of red pen yes. ink on it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we try to be really transparent about that with our customers. Uh, when uh, it's asked, we can share with them what we discover. We have a specific security policy that is public, uh, how we handling vulnerabilities, how we managing patches and everything. So all of this is really in some way coming from the process of being certified. Yeah, no, I like that. I, it's funny like we I haven't had that answer in asking that around certification, but it is a good point. Like when I went through and looked at the 160 odd checks that it does as part of being certified, there was a lot there where if I put my hat on from the previous software companies I've worked at, I'm like, oh, we would have been stumped on some of these and it would have forced you to go oh, yeah. set up a policy or a procedure internally to make sure you had it in the first place. That, that was interesting also because this certification is in some way a subset of ISO 2701. That's right, yeah. And it means that we are... You're getting close to getting that. Yes, we're in the process mm -hmm. of getting certified. So we continue this journey uh, we're still learning about it. I don't say we are perfect or 100% compliant, uh, but it was definitely, definitely helpful. That's awesome. So where could a customer go to trial your product right now, assuming they have their admin sitting next to them for the admin consent? <laughs> <laughs> so they can just go, first of all, to websites when there's interesting videos where they can discover all the capabilities. And um, so the website is enbol.co, and uh, of course on the Microsoft Team Store. And from there, they can uh, reach us if they have any question, uh, if they want uh, also some 
consulting because as we're dealing with business process, sometimes it's interesting for customers to have some help uh, to design the solution with them. So, and they can reach me directly too. Um, probably in the podcast, I'm going to share my, my email and everything. Yeah, it's great. I, I like your website too. I know ITRA usually beats me to the punch on pretty websites, but this one's really nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, look, I appreciate your time. Thank you again for coming on, Guillaume, and thanks for helping me do this one again. ITRA, this is awesome to keep having these discussions with partners like this. Thank you so much, you both. It was a great discussion. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365.podcast. And check out our show notes at m365.podcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 